evidence and answers. Tensions rise in the Middle East as Iran continues to develop their nuclear program. Can we expect peace in the Middle East? Do the recently signed Abraham Accords between Israel and several Islamic nations offer new hopes of peace? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucharan. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. At the Evidence and Answers 2020 End Times Conference, Dr. Andrew Woods explained the significance of the Abraham Accords and its connection with Bible prophecy. Now here's part two of our third teaching with Dr. Andy Woods. Now what the world community is saying is Israel needs to give up more land to Muslims to guarantee her survival. And obviously a nation in that kind of predicament backed up against the Mediterranean Sea is in a desperate position to reach out to anyone who will guarantee her survival. And so that is why she reached out to Jordan for a peace treaty and before that, Egypt for a peace treaty. And I think this is also why she is reaching out to the United Arab Emirates in the Abraham Accords and also Bahrain. Let's go ahead and swap technology and tourism and trade as long as you will recognize tiny Israel's existence. And it's interesting that when you look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, it talks about this peace treaty between the Antichrist and unbelieving Israel. And notice how it's translated. He will make a firm covenant with the many, the many being Israel, he being the Antichrist. And many Hebrew scholars will tell you that in the Hebrew, what this actually means is to strengthen, to make strong. In other words, the nation of Israel, as she enters into this treaty with the Antichrist, the treaty already exists. All the Antichrist is doing is enhancing it or strengthening it. That's a reasonable interpretation of the Hebrew word gabor, which means to strengthen. And many of your Bible translations in English will reveal this element to you. So it's interesting that what the Antichrist is doing, if my understanding of this is correct, is he's strengthening agreements that already exist. Well, how can the Antichrist strengthen agreements that already exist unless agreements are already in place? And now we've got four agreements in place. The treaty with Egypt, peace treaty, the treaty with Jordan, peace treaty, and then these um, Abraham Accords with the United Arab Emirates and also with Bahrain and many other Gulf states to follow. So as I said in my previous discussion, I don't think Donald Trump is the Antichrist for a lot of reasons, but it very well could be that the treaties that he has orchestrated through his son, Jared Kushner, are actually setting the stage for the Antichrist to come along and strengthen something that already exists. And I think that's how the Abraham Accords are adding to this ever increasing in terms of size and velocity, this snowball that keeps growing. Let me take you here to number five, which is Israel's wealth. The book of Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 43 says something that quite frankly for many years I didn't even know was in my Bible. 
Uh, I discovered this because my my daughter, my 14-year-old and myself, we read through a chapter of the Bible every night, and we were reading through Leviticus 26. And in verse 43, it says, For the land, that's the land of Israel, will be abandoned by them and will make up its Sabbaths while it is made desolate without them. In other words, God said that when the Jews are evicted from their land, and they were by the Romans in A.D. 70, as we mentioned earlier, the land would basically be desolate without them. And this is what Mark Twain saw in 1867 in the quote I read earlier, where he went to that part of the world and saw nothing there but a barren expanse. And once Israel, though, is back in the land. It would begin to flourish again, according to a reasonable reading of Leviticus 26, verse 43. In other words, it's barren when they're out, but once they go back in, it becomes productive. And there are many, many prophecies that predict massive wealth coming into the land of Israel in the last days. One of them is Deuteronomy 33, verse 24 where Moses pronounced blessings on the tribes of Israel just before his death. And of Asher, he made this statement, the tribal area of Asher, may he dip his foot in oil. There's a lot of debate on what that means. At the very least, oil means wealth coming into the tribal area of Asher in the last days. And Ezekiel 38 and 39 mentions a great end-time invasion called the Gog-Magog invasion, spearheaded by Russia, Turkey, and Iran. And why are these nations coming against Israel in the last days? Well, when you look at Ezekiel 38 and verse 12, it's to capture spoil and seize plunder. And Israel, during that time period, is called as a people living at the center of the world, having acquired cattle and goods. And it's covetousness over the prospering land that precipitates or gives the motive for this end times invasion. And so as we look at current events, it's astonishing how these prophecies are leaping into existence. Israel, by any reading, today has a gross domestic product that has outstripped that of her neighbors. One study estimated that the value of minerals in the Dead Sea alone is estimated at $5 trillion. Another newspaper article talks about how huge deposits of natural gas in the summer of 2010 were found along Israel's northern coastline. By the way, not far from the tribal area of Asher that we read about in Moses' prophecy in Deuteronomy 23. There's also been a tremendous discovery of oil in the nation of Israel. The headline reads, Huge Oil Discovery on the Golan Heights, and how excited Israel is to have discovered that oil. And it's such a lengthy newspaper article. There's two slides there to read. I don't have time, unfortunately, to read all of this, but you get the gist. Matthew Krieger in the Jerusalem Post says, despite a population of only slightly more than 7 million people, Israel is now home to 7,200 millionaires. 
of the wealthiest 500 people in the world, six are now in Israel, and all told, Israel's rich had assets in 2007 of more than $35 million. Israel's gross domestic product is almost double that of any Middle Eastern country. And I would say that this is a snowball that's continuing to roll, and the Abraham Accords have just added more icing to the cake because these Abraham Accords create free trade between Israel and these Gulf states, and that won't decrease Israel's wealth. That will increase Israel's wealth. That's why the uh, Palestinians, the PLO, as well as Iran and Turkey, were against these Abraham Accords because they were financial blessings or windfalls to the nation of Israel. And so the Abraham Accords contribute in that sense to the fifth thing mentioned on our seven stages here, Israel's wealth. And let me take you, if I could, to number six. The sixth stage is is not only must all of the other things be true, Israel restored to her land, Israel restored in unbelief, Israel recapturing Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem, Israel in sort of a treaty-making mindset, Israel's burgeoning wealth, but Israel actually has to be living in peace, just to be living in peace with many of her neighbors. And we know that because Ezekiel 38 and 39 mentions an end-time invasion, that end-time invasion and Pat asked if I would mention some of my books. I did talk about this quite a bit in a book that I wrote called The Middle East Meltdown, which you can find, you know, online or, you know, wherever books are sold. But Ezekiel 38 and 39 mentions an end-time invasion by the big three. Who are the big three? Persia is Iran, Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagorma would involve Turkey, and Rosh would represent Russia. And if you want to know how I get there, the book, The Middle East Meltdown, provides all of the data as to how I reached that conclusion. But it mentions this, and there are other nations involved, as you can see from this map. The Sudan will be involved. Libya will be involved. Central Asia will be involved. And why are they doing this invasion spearheaded by the big three? They're basically doing this invasion because they feel that Israel at this time is being dominated by peace. In other words, this is what disrupts Israel's peace. Ezekiel 38 and verse 8 describes this invasion during a time when the nation of Israel is living securely. Ezekiel 38 and verse 11 describes this invasion that will take place during a time not just when she's living securely, But also, there's a different Hebrew word that's used here, shakat, which I go into in my book, The Middle East Meltdown, when she is at rest, meaning she will be living in a quiet, undisturbed, and settled way. And as that happens, the invasion will take place. Now, I believe that her peace treaty with Egypt and Jordan set the stage for Israel to live in peace with her immediately surrounding adjacent neighbors. And now what has happened is the 
Abraham Accords have added icing to the cake because for those Persian Gulf states to get access to the three T's, tourism, technology, etc., they had to have recognized as formerly existing the state of Israel. So the Abraham Accords also paved the way for Israel to be at peace, which she must be at peace in order for the Gog-Magog invasion spearheaded by the big three to take place. In other words, the Abraham Accords, along with the peace treaty with Jordan, the peace treaty with Egypt, are setting the stage for peace so that the Gog-Magog invasion spearheaded by the big three can take place. And so so that's another way in which the Abraham Accords are setting the stage for the end of the age. They're simply adding to a rolling snowball. And this now takes us to our last point, which is as follows. The Gulf states will stage a lame protest against the nation of Israel when this invasion happens. Now, there's a lot of discussion amongst people concerning when this invasion happens. I'm of the view that this invasion will happen within the tribulation period itself. That's when the snowball will reach its apex. So it will be on the other side of the rapture. In my book, The Middle East Meltdown, I give you the reasons why I think that. But that's not to say that the snowball won't be rolling before the rapture occurs. In other words, these prophecies aren't just going to take place in a vacuum. They're going to take place because the stage has been set. And I'm walking you through seven ways that the stage is being set right now as we speak, and the Abrahamic Accords are adding, not subtracting, not derailing, but they're adding to this stage setting. So one of the things that will happen when this invasion transpires is the Gulf states will stage a lame protest. So here comes the invasion spearheaded by the big three. It's all laid out in Ezekiel 38, chapters 38 and 39. The players are Turkey, Russia, Central Asia, Iran, the Sudan, and Libya. They invade, but not everybody is happy with the invasion. Notice, if you will, Ezekiel chapter 38, and look at verse 13. Somebody protests. Who are the protesters? What does it say here in verse 13? Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all its villages will say to you, have you come to capture spoil? Have you assembled company to seize plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, and to capture spoil? Somebody protests, and two of the protesters are named here Sheba and Dedan. Now, who exactly are Sheba and Dedan? As I say in my book, The Middle East Meltdown, quoting here Dr. Randall Price, Quote, the location of Sheba and Dedan are somewhat easy to identify. Consultation with a modern map indicates the city of Dedan is currently in Saudi Arabia, a Gulf state. Sheba could also very well be in Saudi Arabia. Others maintain that Sheba is perhaps a slight distance further north in nearby Yemen. 
Now let's go back to our map of the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain. Did you, do you notice how close the United Arab Emirates is to Saudi Arabia? In fact, a lot of people say Saudi Arabia is probably the next nation to fall. Fall in the sense that she will enter into a similar Abraham Accord with the nation of Israel. So it stands to reason that Sheba and D. Dan would protest the invasion spearheaded by the big three when it's understood that Saudi Arabia like the UAE, like Bahrain, already has normalized relations with the nation of Israel. I mean, they have access to Israel's tourism, technology, trade. So, of course, they would protest. And so, what's the point I'm trying to make? The point I'm trying to make is the Abraham Accords are now setting the stage for the Gulf states to protest the invasion exactly like God predicted in his word 2,600 years ago. That's the significance, largely, of the Abraham Accords. Now, it's interesting, Saudi Arabia, when you look at that in particular, they have telegraphed recently that they're not on the side of Iran. They're on the side of Israel. Here's a headline, Saudi prince all side with Israel against Palestinian uprising and Iran. Now, that is, in essence, Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 13. I mean, it's almost like these Saudi princes woke up one day and said, you know, hey, this uh, Ezekiel 38 verse 13 looks neat. Let's, let's see if we can fulfill that today. That's how eerie this is and how similar headlines are to what God's Word said. Uh, here is another headline, and it talks about Saudi Arabia intercepting Yemen missiles in a month. Saudi Arabia on Thursday, now this would go back a few years to 2017, Saudi Arabia on Thursday intercepted and destroyed a ballistic missile fired from war-torn Yemen. State media reported the second such attack this month claimed by Iran-backed Houthi rebels. So you notice that Saudi Arabia has been working against Iran in many cases. When you look at the varieties of Islam in the Middle East, Iran is Shiite. Saudi Arabia, to my understanding, is Sunni. And so that would be a possible another explanation for the split. But the fact of the matter is Saudi Arabia is not going to fall along with this great invasion from the north. And headlines seem to support that. And along come these Abraham Accords that indicate that the Gulf states are now normalizing relationships with Israel, Saudi Arabia and and Qatar and others being the next to fall in line. And so as those relationships are normalized with the nation of Israel, well, of course, Saudi Arabia, Sheba and Dedan would stage a lame protest. They would disagree with the invasion as it happens from spearheaded by the big three. So the Abraham Accords in that sense are adding further icing to the cake in this growing snowball. So sort of in conclusion, there's a lot that's happening since 1948, which is setting the stage for the end times. Israel has been restored politically. Israel has been restored in unbelief. Israel has regained Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem. Israel is in a mindset 
where she's willing to enter deals with people, enter into deals with folks to guarantee her survival. Israel's burgeoning wealth is a factor. That's the motivation for the end times attack, the Abraham Accords, adding, of course, to that. Israel will be living in peace with her neighbors, not all of her neighbors, but her immediate neighbors when this invasion happens. The Abraham Accords add to that scenario. And then the Gulf states are going to disagree with the invasion and stage a lame protest. They'll speak against it, but they won't do anything practically to stop it. I don't think they can. But why they would speak against it is now set in place thanks to the Abraham Accords. So in conclusion, by way of application, what are some things to take away from this? Number one, prophecy is proof of divine inspiration. God said, I declared the former things long ago, and they went forth from my mouth. I proclaimed them. Suddenly I acted, and they came to pass. Therefore, verse 5, I declared them to you long ago. Before they took place, I proclaimed them to you so that you would not say, my idol has done them, and my graven image and my molten image has commanded them. Prophecy is one of the great proofs that an omniscient God inspired the Bible. Number two, prophecy has a calming impact on the Christian. We should calm down and not be so worried because when we see things fitting into place exactly like God said, it's a reminder that God is in control. Number three, it's a reminder of God's faithfulness. If God is going to be faithful all of these centuries and millennia to wayward Israel, he's going to be faithful to me as well. 2 Timothy 2 verse 13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Number four, as an application point, always keep your eye on Israel, God's timepiece, because that will tell you where we are in the great march of events. And my last point of application in the midst of all of these others is simply to remember that we're living on borrowed time. You know, it's interesting, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. And before Thanksgiving was celebrated, they were already putting out Christmas displays in the department stores. And so when the signs of Christmas started to come into existence, that told us that Christmas was approaching. But since those displays were being put into the stores prior to Thanksgiving, it also told us that Thanksgiving was coming even faster because Thanksgiving occurs earlier on the calendar than Christmas. So what we're studying here are the signs of the coming tribulation period. And the tribulation period is coming very fast upon our world, but it also means something else. The rapture, which precedes the tribulation period, is coming even faster. So this is a time where we really need to be consecrated unto the Lord Jesus Christ and living for him. And we should be, Titus 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's a little bit on the Abraham Accords, how they fit into the prophetic scenario and how these things apply to our lives. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for these prophecies from your word. We're grateful to be living in the time period that we're living in. I ask if anybody listening does not know you personally and they're overwhelmed by what they see in the newspaper, 
I just pray that today would be the day where they would hear the gospel. The gospel is the crucified Christ, the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, where he said, it is finished. In other words, the sin debt has been paid for. Those were his last words on, on the cross. And he invites us to enter into a relationship with him only one way, by receiving what he has done as a free gift. And we receive a free gift from you, Lord, through faith alone. And if anybody listening has not done that and they're terrified and don't have the divine perspective on the future, we just ask right now that the Holy Spirit would convict them and they right now, even as I am speaking, would place their personal faith in Christ for salvation. We'll be careful to give you all the praise and the glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share it with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Yeah.